Shabbat Shalom. Uh, the older ones would remember. Remember black and white TV? <laughs> and the lines running through it? <laughs> well, uh, that's what Scripture used to be to me. <laughs> and now it's like living color, you know. It's like having that big 54-inch screen and, oh, uh, the Scriptures are so magnificent. And uh, I want to share with you this morning some things uh, concerning the New Covenant. Um uh, The New Covenant is something that is not understood by Jewish people, and it's not understood so very often by the church. And uh, so I want to be able to deal with that uh, this morning. Uh, One thing before I do, um, for those of you who didn't get a copy last time and are interested in a copy, I have four of these back here, the book I wrote, I spoke on last time. Discovering the Mystery of the Unity of God, where I deal with the person of Messiah in the Hebrew Scriptures. Don't even bother going to the New Testament. There's so much already written there. And uh, so I have a couple of these, so um, um, take a look at them when you're back there. I've also written, because I know unbelieving Jewish people are not going to beat the door down to read a 900-page book. Um, So what I did is I simplified it. I took the heart and the soul out of this big book and published another book. It's called God in Eclipse. What is eclipsing the God of Israel from Israel? It's written for Jewish unbelievers. But there's so much in there for Believers to learn how to use the Scriptures to share their faith with Jewish people from the Hebrew Scriptures. And so the whole purpose is to walk an unbelieving Jewish person through their Scriptures. Show them who their God is and show them the identity of Messiah. And uh, so I appreciate... uh, Take a look at it, but I appreciate your prayer for it. I have a gal that is also translating it for me into Spanish. Uh, I believe uh, the Spanish-speaking world is one of the greatest neglected fields in Jewish ministries worldwide. Um, so I really want to see this in Spanish. But also, I've been uh, in contact with another mission called Slavic Gospel Association. Don't know if you ever heard of it or not. But they work with Slavic people, Russia. And of course, uh, there are many Jewish people still in Russia. Also, there are many Jewish people who have made Aliyah to Israel. And uh, Slavic Gospel, a number of their staff were Jewish believers. And they made Aliyah. And they went to Israel and they started ministering in Israel. And uh, so they have agreed, and we just got to work out the final details, but they have agreed to translate this in Russian for Russian-speaking Jewish people in Israel. So I really appreciate your prayer in relationship to this. Um, I have to pay them for it, of course. So I appreciate your prayer in relationship to this, that everything will come together and the Lord will lead the right people uh, across my path that will be able to pay for the thing. Uh, 
We're looking at 10,000 copies being printed to be distributed for free. Just to give them out to Russian-speaking Jewish people in the land. So I just covet, covet your prayers so much with that. Um, at any rate, let's go to Jeremiah. Let's bow our heads and hearts first before our Lord. Gracious Father, we come to you this morning talking about your word. It's what you've given to us. You've given it to us to understand your word, to understand your great love wherewith you have loved your people Israel. But you've also loved us, Goyim, as well. And so, Father, as we deal with your word, from your word, literally about the word, the living word, we commit this morning unto you to bring glory and honor to you. And we thank you and praise you for what you've given us in your Son. We ask it in Yeshua's name. Amen. There are two words that bother me when I look at the Scripture. One of those words is the word old. Now, it's not because I'm getting there. <laughs> okay? Uh, my mother died at 103, and she said, I was just a young kid. <laughs> but at any rate, that word old bothers me. Especially when you use old, when you say Old Testament. Because old means to me something that is, well, no longer holds the value that it once had. It's the stuff people fill their garages and attics with. They don't want to get rid of it yet. But they don't have it out on their coffee table for everyone to see either. It doesn't hold the preeminence that it once held. And I don't like the word Old Testament. Because we are psychologically telling people that that portion of Scripture is old and lesser of value than the new. And I don't buy that. Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That was the Hebrew Scriptures. So I don't like the word old. I have come to realize more and more, and it's just compounded in my mind more and more, that the foundation of the New Testament are the Hebrew Scriptures. And if you want to understand the New Testament, you must understand the Hebrew Scriptures. I found it interesting. I read not too long ago through the book of Romans. You know what I discovered? I discovered that Paul in the book of Romans references or quotes the Hebrew Scriptures 120 times. That's a lot. If you want to understand what Paul's talking about in the great doctrinal treatises that Paul deals with in Romans, understand the Hebrew Scriptures because he's constantly referencing Hebrew Scriptures. There's one other word that bothers me. It's the word law. 
Now, I'm dispensational. And I recognize the dispensation of law. But it bothers me, the word. Because generally speaking, in the church all over the land, when people reference the Hebrew Scriptures, they will reference it as old. And most people know that that's where the law is. And so people, people will say, why in the world? I'm under grace. Why in the world would I go back and study those books that talk about law? And so by and large, most churches don't deal with the Hebrew Scriptures except to do character studies. A little bit of prophecy, maybe. Those words bother me. We're going to look at something today, and I've entitled this thing, it's the New Covenant, but the Inter-Tanakh. Now, you know what the Tanakh is. I probably don't have to tell you that. The Tanakh, the Inter-Tanakh evidence for Jeremiah's New Covenant. I have found something absolutely fascinating. And that is that the writers of the Hebrew Scriptures did not write independent of all the other writers that were before them. They interrelated. And as we're going to see here this morning, Jeremiah. Jeremiah references the prophet Hosea. He references Moses. We get into Ezekiel and we'll find out that Ezekiel referenced Joel. And Isaiah referenced Joel. They interrelated with each other. And so very often, believers have little pieces of knowledge and have no clue how they interact and connect with each other. And it's valuable for us to teach the Scriptures in such a way that people, when they're reading the Scriptures, <laughs> they'll recognize that it's just not one man that was writing. It was God that was writing. That God through Isaiah, and God through Jeremiah, and God through Ezekiel, and God through Joel, and God through Hosea, and God through Moses interacted with each other. So let us look at Jeremiah 31. Now they tell me I have a... Uh, Yeah. Let's go into these verses first, since I have them up here. In John, Jesus says, as he was speaking to his most favorite audience, the Pharisees, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. They are they that testify of the Father. Well, that's not what it said, is it? And says it testified of me. The scriptures were written about him. He's the focus. And then it complicates a little bit more for him. In verse 46, he says as well, uh, Had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, 
for he wrote of me. And he did. And I challenge you, if Moses wrote about Messiah Yeshua, what in the world did he say? And then, of course, there's the passage, and I won't read all that, but there's the passage there in Luke 24 with the men on the Emmaus Road. And Jesus chastises them and references the fact that did not Messiah have to fulfill these things before He comes into His glory? And then He went through the law and the prophets and the writings about Himself. And He spoke as well with the twelve. In the verse, was it verse 44? 45. And again, he references the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. We want to look here at Jeremiah 31, 1 through, or, uh, 31 through 34. So if you will, follow this with me. Behold, the days come. That is a prophetic future statement. The days are coming in the future. Behold, the days are coming. saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Now, you know, it's kind of a word worth underlining. New covenant. Notice who He's going to make it with. He's going to make it with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I don't know how you get church in there, but there's a lot of Christians that get church in there. It, it, it ain't there. That's my uh, superb English grammar, okay? It's just not there. It's to Israel. It is to Judah. And God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And then He contrasts it in verse 32. In verse 32, it says, Not according to the covenant that I made with your fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. And I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Now, a new covenant versus an old covenant. And it's obvious in verse 32, the old covenant was the Mosaic law. That Israel got obligated themselves to keep. Exodus chapter 24. They said with echad voice, one voice, we will obey the law. It's not a polished up. It's not refurbished. Old covenant. It is a new one. Now, I need to say something here as well. God is the author of language. God is also the author of grammar. And do you know what God doesn't need help in? He doesn't need the dust of the earth to redefine His terms. Take the Scriptures as God gave it. 
Use the literal interpretation of Scripture. Take God as He gave it. What does He say? I mean, it's simple. Don't make it difficult. It's simple. A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then it's contrasted with the old covenant that they broke. Notice what he says then in verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. What is that? That's another prophetic future statement. What are those days? If you read through the prophets, you understand that those days, he's always referring to something called the tribulation period. After those days. After the tribulation. After those days. And notice what he says he's going to do. I will put my law in their inward parts. Now, don't confuse that with the Mosaic law. He already said, I'm making a new covenant. You've broken the old, he said. But I'm going to put my law, my statutes, my commandments, I'm going to put it in your inward parts. I'm going to write it upon your hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, we're going to come back to it later. But you know, right there in that verse, Jeremiah is referencing the prophet Hosea. Hosea said the same thing. Verse 34. Yep, 34 is up there. All right. Verse 34 says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his uh, brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity. And remember their sin no more. Yeah, that's, that's a good worth of a hallelujah, isn't it? Yeah. He simply is laying out some things here. I'm going to make a new covenant. With Israel, with Judah, because the old one was broken. And I'm going to put it in their inward parts. I'm going to put it in their hearts. And they will all know me. That's a promise. No theological gymnastics need to be done with that. It's very simple, very readable. Of course, I don't have the verses up here, but we sang them. <laughs> Uh, verses 35, 6, and 7. It's permanent. I would like to ask a covenant theologian, since when has the searches of the depths of the earth been discovered and the stars, they keep finding more of them out there. They haven't reached the end yet. If there is one. So how did they get church in there? God has not abandoned His people. They might abandon Him. He hasn't abandoned them. Now, Jeremiah, 
give you a little bit of history background for Jeremiah. Jeremiah began his ministry during the, the King Josiah. He was the righteous king. He was the grandson of Manasseh, who was the pits. Worst possible. Reminds me of a guy that sits in the White House down in Washington, D.C., but I won't go there. But anyway, here we have Jeremiah laying out some very basic things. What I want to do with this, well, I better finish what I was going to do. We're going to find out that during Josiah's reign, they discovered something because it had been lost. They discovered the book of the law, the book of Deuteronomy. Now keep that in mind as we go through the next number of verses. Because what you find out is Jeremiah is quoting directly from the book of Deuteronomy. That book of the law that was found, he's now quoting from it. Now, let's go over to chapter 32 and verse 40. I believe that's the next one up here. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read a couple verses before that uh, because it's important. Verse 40 is really what I want, but... mm. Verse 37, we'll say... Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, in my great wrath. And I will bring them again to this place. Hmm. I wonder what this place is. Where was Jeremiah? In Jerusalem. I'm going to bring them back to this place. We call it Israel. Not Uganda. Not some other place. This place. And I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. Here he's referencing Hosea again. And I will give them one heart. Now, there's a word here I want to draw to your attention. I'm going to be drawing it to your attention quite frequently. Heart, heart, heart. He said, I'm going to give them one heart and one way, and they shall fear me forever. For the good of them and their children after them. And then verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That's the new covenant. They just talked about the chapter before. And I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, and they shall not depart from me. And I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them in this land. Oh, there's another reference to that. I'm going to plant them in this land. Assuredly, with my whole heart. God's heart. That's a reference, by the way, to your inner being. Who you are. Your person. What makes you unique from an animal. Your heart. 
with your whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I brought you all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring unto them all the good that I promised. And the new covenant lays right at the heart of the whole thing. Then in verse 40, it's an everlasting covenant. Now let's go backwards a little bit in Jeremiah to Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 26. What is interesting here is the words that Moses begins to pick up. Or I should say Jeremiah begins to pick up. Just gave away here. It says in verse 26, Egypt and Judah, excuse me, and Ammon and the children, uh, Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab, and all that are in the uttermost corners that dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Israel had a heart problem. Israel still has a heart problem. Israel needs to have a transplanted heart. The law only condemns. The law doesn't give life. He's picking up this word from a guy everybody knows. Moses. Moses referenced this. He talked about this. Now let's go back to another verse or two. Let's go back to chapter 4. Verses 1 to 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. I'm primarily interested in verse 4, but let me read the verses up to it. If thou return, O Israel, says the Lord, return unto me, and I will put away the abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be removed. If thou wilt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Now, I found that to be an interesting verse. Who is the in him? It's not Israel. Well, a lot of people say, well, it's God. Well, yeah, that's a true answer. But as I say, what member of the Godhead? What member of the Godhead revealed himself to Moses, or should say with Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to Moses, and to Joshua, and all the way through Scripture? Yeah. In Him. Isn't that interesting? The nations shall bless themselves in Him. And in Him shall they glory. Well, me being a good old German background, I say amen to that one. Then he goes on. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up the foul ground and sow not among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And again, 
Jeremiah is talking about a heart issue. Isn't it Jeremiah that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Who can know it? Yeah. Jeremiah is talking about a heart issue that Israel has. God says in the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, I'm going to change all that. I'm going to circumcise your heart. So where did he get it from? Well, obviously, he got it from Moses. So let's go back and see what Moshe had to say. Back in Deuteronomy. Yes, there was one other verse there that I failed to give you. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou may be saved. What an awesome verse as well. Heart, the heart, the heart. I find it interesting that... um, so very often, uh, Judaism rejects the concept of having a depraved heart. They want to talk about we're made in the image of God. And they emphasize that, but not the fact that they're sinners separated from a holy God. The word heart, by the way, is another study that needs to be done. But what does Moses say here in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy? Look at verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Now isn't it interesting? Here's the guy that gave Israel, through the hand of God, gave Israel 613 laws that they were obligated to keep. And you know what Moses realized? They couldn't do it. Moses recognized, and here's the law giver. Well, maybe I ought to say the law receiver slash giver. They couldn't keep it. And they still can't keep it. Especially now. There is no temple, so there's a whole section of the law they can't keep at all. Moses recognized in Deuteronomy that Israel had a heart problem. Just like Jeremiah. Now Moses didn't name it. Jeremiah names it. But Moses saw the need of a circumcised heart. A circumcised heart. Now there's another word we could replace with that. Israel needed a regenerated heart. Just like every Gentile needs a regenerated heart. Because we're dead in trespasses and sin. But because of what Yeshua did, and we believed in Him, He's given us new life. But you have a promise here. Not a a promise, but you have a statement here by Moses. Circumcise your hearts. There's a need there. But they couldn't do it. Look at chapter 30. And verse 6, I believe it is. Yes. Chapter 30, verse 6. 
And this, to me, even gets more interesting as I look at this thing. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The whole passage is significant. I, I just can't, I can't read through all of it, although I find it interesting in verse 5. He says, And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which your fathers possessed. That's that geographical area that lays on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea called Israel. God doesn't stutter. Very clear. But look at verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise your heart. Because they can't. And the heart of your seed. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. That you may live. Now that verse, I looked at that the first time. And I said, oh, that's part of the Shema. Now usually when we think of the Shema, we think of verse 4. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. But do you realize that verse 4 is immaterial if you don't obey verse 5? What's verse 5? Jesus was asked by the lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? And what did he say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The rest of it is immaterial if you're not loving Him with your heart. There's that word, heart, heart, heart. I never knew heart was so much in the Hebrew Scriptures. I always thought of that as a New Testament term. (laughs) Boy, am I surprised. The heart. The heart. It was sinful. Moses saw the need. The heart need to be circumcised, or should I say, regenerated? New life? Israel was incapable of keeping the law. Moses saw the need. Jeremiah names what God's going to do. It's called the New Covenant. He's going to give them a new heart. Now, it doesn't end with that. See what I have here from my next verses. Yes, we're going to go to Hosea. Uh, Hosea is one of the minor prophets, and I'm not sure that I like the term minor prophets either. Um, I like better the Jewish uh, connotation of the books called the Twelve. (laughs) That makes much more sense to me, the Twelve, because there's nothing in the Minor Prophets that are minor. Jose got a fascinating job description. Jose, why don't you go out and marry a prostitute? Hmm. And what happens as a result, he gets married and he has three children and God names three children. He names them. Jose doesn't. Because they all have a meaning and they all bear upon Israel and its future. Now, I'm not going to go through the firstborn, secondborn. It's all there in chapter 1. But let me do or give you verse 9, which is right here. 
Call his name Leolam. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Now, it wasn't that God all of a sudden said, I'm going to axe that Abrahamic covenant. This people is just... No, it doesn't talk about that at all. It's not what it's referencing. What he's saying is, Israel, you're not living like my people. You are my people, but you're out worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and all these other kind of gods all over the place. And you've profaned my name. And so you're living like you're not my people. And I'm not your God. Now you look at verse or chapter 2 and verse 23 and something radically changes. And what radically changed, and Hosea does not talk about the new covenant, but what he does give you is what I call the residual or the outworking of what the Abrahamic, excuse me, the new covenant will provide, what it will do. Look what he says. And I will sow, that has to do with the first name of the child, first child, and I will sow unto me, I'll sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that have not obtained mercy. That happens to be the second name. The third name now, he says, and I will say to them which are not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say thou art my God. What makes the difference? The difference will be is when the new covenant is fulfilled in Messiah Yeshua. And we'll get to a little bit more of that here shortly. But he's talking here about huh, the residual, the outworking of what the new covenant will provide. And might I say, Everyone, I think, almost every one of the prophets have something to say about what the new covenant will accomplish, even if they don't mention the name new covenant. So let's go on here. This verse, yeah, I've read it goodness knows how many times, Isaiah Isaiah 42, one of the servant passages. I've read this, goodness knows. And like usual, so very often we read Scripture and we read right over top of stuff. Because we're just reading it. Well, I've got three chapters I've got to read today on my Bible reading. So we go through those three chapters and we don't even get a whole lot out of what we're reading. That's why Paul said to study. What caught my attention was in verse 6. Here you have the interaction going on between the father and the son, the servant. Look what the father says. The Lord called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you. And then look at this. And will give you for a covenant of the people. Now, what's unusual about that? 
God doesn't use human beings to make covenants. He uses animals and the blood of animals to make a covenant, right? What's God saying here? I am going to make you the servant of the Lord as a covenant for my people. Don't forget what Yeshua did at the Last Supper, Passover. He took the cup. He took the third cup, the cup of redemption, which symbolized the blood of the Lamb, the wine that was in that cup. Symbolized the blood of the Lamb that was shed that provided their redemption from Egypt. He lifts that thing up and then He says, this is the new covenant in My blood. But John the Baptist is pretty good. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. 700 years before Yeshua would pick up that cup and say, this is the new covenant in my blood, God the Father said to him, I will make you a covenant for the people. And a light to the Gentiles. That's for me. Awesome. 700 years before. I know a lot of times we talk about the virgin birth and as important as that is. 700 years before. Well, this is 700 years before too. There are numerous other verses. But Isaiah also brings in another facet when you go over to chapter 59, verse 21. Sure, if I have this one on here. Uh, okay, I'm not going to use that one. It talks about the everlasting covenant. There we go. As for me, this is my covenant with them. My covenant with them? Saith the Lord. My spirit shall be upon you, and my words which I have spoken in thy mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your seed, nor out of the mouth of your seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth forever. You know what he's talking about? My covenant? The reality of that verse cannot happen without the fulfillment of the new covenant. There's some really awesome things in the book of Isaiah. But I have to withhold myself here a little bit. Um, let me go over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, and I want to focus primarily on chapter 36. Now, uh, there might be another verse on here. There's Isaiah 61. Again, talking about the everlasting covenant. That's new covenant. Jeremiah 16, once again, is going to be talking about the covenant. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to go into that one. This is the one I want to go into. I'm going to start reading a couple verses before that. Verse 18. Therefore I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that was shed upon the land. 
and for the idols that polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, the Goyim. And they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered into the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my name. When Israel was dispersed, the very fact that they were dispersed was profaning God's name because God wanted to use Israel as the light to all the nations of the world. And the fact that they had to be judged and removed out of the land profaned his name. They profaned my holy name. When they said to them, these are my people, or these are the people of the Lord, and are going forth out of his land, And I had pity upon my holy name, not upon Israel, upon my name, which the house of Israel profaned among the heathen where they went. Now the verse here that picks up here, therefore, say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, I do this not for your sakes, O house of Israel. But for my own holy name's sake, which you profaned among the heathen where you went. He says, I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen. Uh, Do you catch any repetition there? Which you profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you. Before their eyes. And I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of the countries and will bring you into your own land. Um, I wonder what that own land is again. Hmm. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And then look at verse 26. And a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. Again, God doesn't stutter. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. Well, here you've got Ezekiel quoting Hosea as well. Well, there's so much there. It's all all rich passage. So here all of a sudden you have Ezekiel bringing out something that the others didn't bring out. Jeremiah names the covenant. And Moses references the fact of the need for that covenant. Jeremiah says, I'm going to give you a new heart. But Ezekiel adds to the fact that not only am I going to give you a new heart, I'm going to give you my spirit. Well, you read that and it almost sounds like you're reading John 14. 
the upper room discourse. Where he said concerning the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he was with you and he shall now be in you. These facets, where did he pick us up from? Well, you see, there was a prophet that was before him. There was another prophet by the name of Joel. And Joel talks about the outpouring of God's Spirit on all Jewish flesh. Peter quotes that in Acts 2. These scripture passages interrelate and interlock. It wasn't Isaiah just doing his thing. And it wasn't Jeremiah you doing his thing. Or Ezekiel doing his thing. Or Moses doing his thing. They interact together. What a magnificent... You know, God boggles my mind. One of the things you'll find if you're going to write a novel... <laughs> how many of you start two-thirds the way through? A good novel, he lays out a plot and he weaves that plot throughout the story. It's exactly what God's doing. He is a master writer. And very often you read a novel the first time, you catch part of it, but you don't catch all of it. And then all of a sudden you read it again. You say, oh, I didn't see that before. What's <laughs> well, the same way with God's Word? Now let me go on. We come to the New Testament. Now I don't know what verses I have up here next. Uh, there's some more in Ezekiel. Okay, I want to get to Zechariah. I want to get to Matthew. Jesus at the Passover took that cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Now, if you go back, and I'm not sure what other verses are on here, okay. Uh, if you go back as well to John 3, you remember the story of Nicodemus? Jesus said to Nick, Nick, you've got to be born again. And Nick went, huh? And he was thinking his Pharisaic way, look, I've gone through all the things that I could do as a Jewish male. I've been born again four times already. You mean there's another one? The rabbis didn't tell me about this. Jesus said, you must be born from above. Jesus was talking about the new covenant. And Nicodemus didn't grasp it. Took him three years. He finally did. But he was a product of his generation. Rabbinic teaching. And what's so interesting is you go through in John and you go through the festival, the pouring out of water, and they would go through this elaborate festival of the priests going down and putting their pitchers in the pool of Siloma, taking the water up and pouring them out at the altar. Symbolizing the outpouring of God upon Israel. And they didn't get it. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born from above. 
Flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. And you might have all this stuff that the rabbis say, but you haven't been born from above. You must have a regenerated heart. You must be circumcised in your heart. Now, Jesus didn't use those terms, but that's exactly what he was using, saying. Jesus is the focus. I want to read a couple things here quick. The God of Israel is the one who interacted. The one who interacted with them was the second person of the Godhead. The seed is the second person of the Godhead. The king, the prophet, the redeemer of Israel, the messenger of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, the branch, the promised one, the virgin born one, Emmanuel, the angel of his face, the creator, the son's name, the sent one, the word, the one who embodies righteousness, the covenant, the suffering servant, the arm of the Lord. The one who will deliver Israel or Jacob from ungodliness. The shepherd, the bread of life, the light, the rock. And you can go on. The focus of Scripture is on the person of Jesus Christ. You know what I discovered? Never dawned on my little brain before. The Abrahamic covenant that God gave to Abraham, there were three major aspects of that covenant that God develops. He took the land aspect of that covenant and developed it into the land covenant, Deuteronomy 29 and 30. And then He takes the seed aspect of the Abrahamic covenant and develops it into the Davidic covenant. And then He takes the blessing aspect and He develops it into the new covenant. What dawned on me not that long ago Do you realize that the Davidic covenant cannot be fulfilled without the new covenant being fulfilled first? What is the key to Yeshua coming back? Their repentance and embracing Him as Messiah and God. And He will not come back until they do so. So you cannot have a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is not going to sit upon the throne if the people have not repented first. He is not going to give them that land until they accept who He is and embrace Him as Messiah. And as Zechariah says, weep for Him as one weepeth for an only son. The Abrahamic covenant itself cannot be fulfilled until the new covenant is fulfilled. It is that critical for the life of Jewish people. The nation of Israel will be, as Paul says in Romans 11, will be saved in a day. That will just be the couple days before the end of the tribulation, when they finally utter in their prayer of confession, Isaiah 53, that Yeshua is God, Messiah. And then He will come back. 
And then He'll destroy the Antichrist and judge the nations. And then He will sit upon the throne of David. And then He will gather all Israel back to the land. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will sit there with Him in the kingdom. But that cannot occur until the new covenant is fulfilled. One other aspect. I could go on. I'm already probably over time. How does a guy like me get into a Jewish covenant anyhow? And Paul so simply writes in Romans 11, because of unbelief, the natural branches were broken off. But see, when Yeshua died on the cross and shed His blood, His blood was spilt not just for Jewish hearts, but for Gentile hearts. And when I, by faith, believed in Yeshua as my Messiah, I was grafted in. And if you're Gentile, so were you. We do not fulfill, I'm speaking as a Gentile, we do not fulfill the new covenant. We do not bring the covenant to its fulfillment. Only one thing brings the new covenant to its fulfillment, and that is national Israel accepting Yeshua for who He is. Jesus said, you will not see my face again until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And then you run across these passages, and I'm just going to reference them real quickly here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he references us as believers, Jew and Gentile, as ministers of the new covenant. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about the fact both Jew and Gentile, who were once dead and trespasses from sin, but now we have been made Alive. What made us alive? Accepting what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. The inauguration of that new covenant. Not the completion of it. That's the inauguration of it. It set it in motion. It won't be fulfilled until national Israel embraces Yeshua. But what a price to pay. And we just went through Holocaust remembrance. I, I, I don't know how to utter it. How, how, how do you say that in the next Holocaust, and there is one, it's called the Tribulation, Hitler got one-third. The Antichrist will get two-thirds. What a price to pay. And yet nothing was caught, nothing caught God off guard. It's there in the Hebrew Scriptures. God said, I will refine you as a refiner refines gold and silver. And I'll take all the byproduct 
off of you. And he'll bring them to the point where they'll actually say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why will they weep? They'll not only weep because of who he is, they're going to be weeping because their fathers who were very zealous in worshiping the Lord God were lost. And their fathers before them. And their fathers before them. It's a hard passage of Scripture. Moses, well, he saw the need of the new covenant. He talked about the uncircumcised heart that needed to be regenerated. And Isaiah and Ezekiel describe the eternality and the character of the new covenant. Jeremiah names the new covenant. And Yeshua inaugurates it at Calvary with His blood. And both Jew and Gentile are the wonderful recipients. <laughs> if we put our faith and trust in Him. And I encourage you, perchance, if you're here and you don't know Messiah as your Savior, embrace Him as your Savior. He is Messiah. He did come once before. And He will never come again until He is asked to come. An individual can ask Him into their heart and life. And they can be regenerated. They can have a circumcised heart. And I encourage you, if you've never embraced Him as your Messiah, let Him circumcise your heart. Embrace Him as Messiah. One other final point. See, I closed it. For us as believers... I'm very much aware today more than before that Christians do not take seriously who they are. And I'm talking about across the board. I'm not saying just here. I'm saying across the board. Christians live and act just like the rest of the world and they're more concerned with gathering together all the trinkets and toys of the world which is going to be burned up and destroyed instead of focusing on Yeshua. He is life. And we have the answer. And I encourage you as believers Seriously recognize who you are in Christ and the responsibility you have to walk in Him. My life verse, and then I'm done. 1 John 2.6 They that say they abide in Him are morally obligated to walk 
even as he himself walked. We're his ambassador. Let's pray together. Father, your word is so big. You are beyond what I, I can't even imagine. You are so awesome. Beyond my understanding, beyond my comprehension. And yet you have allowed me and others to be in your word and to begin to grasp the unfathomable riches of your grace that you have bestowed upon us as believers. May we take that as reality in our hearts and lives and live accordingly. And may the world outside, whether it's Montreal or whether it's Lidditz, Pennsylvania, may they see Christ in us. Thank you for your word this morning. We give you honor and glory and we praise you for who you are. You are the I Am. Thank you for what you've given us. We ask in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus.